Well, good morning, everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor this morning. And then yell across the room to somebody you don't know and wave and just make them feel so welcome here. I don't know from up here, that was pretty lame, people. Let's take a vote. Was that lame or was that okay? It was pretty lame, yes. So finally the team came together on one thing. If you want to say good morning to our online people, we are streaming live this morning. Yeah, welcome everybody. It's so nice to see you. It's all good. It's all right. We're going to pray. We are going to um, do some worship first in the form of music. Then Pastor Brent's going to come and he's going to share the word. And uh, it's our prayer and it's our hope that that the Holy Spirit comes and just uh, touches you with a fresh whatever it is that you need this morning. If it's refreshing, if it's uplifting, if it's a challenging week and you just need to know that uh, he's with you and he's beside you, um, that's an amazing thought. So Jesus, we thank you. Your love endures forever. You're a great big God who has great big love for each and every one of us. We thank you. We thank you that when we call on your name that you hear us. We thank you that when even we've turned and walked away, that your pursuit of us is radical. We just thank you, Jesus, that we can never outrun the length of your arms. So be with us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Let us worship in spirit and in truth. And we give this whole service and celebration to you today, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we kind of have open worship. So if you feel like standing, you can stand. If you feel just like uh, sitting, whatever posture you want to take this morning is fine. Um, We just ask again, uh, Holy Spirit, come.
God, I run into your arms unashamed because of mercy. Unashamed because of mercy. What powerful words. Thank you. 
Good morning, church. It's great to be here. I uh, was not here last week, and I don't miss very often, but uh, I was on the Great Ohio Bicycle Adventure, um, and uh, along with 1,100 other people, uh, we rode our bicycles around Northeast Ohio this year, uh, starting in Madison and going from Madison during day trips and then to Willoughby and then to Kent, and then some more day trips, and then to Burton, and then back up to uh, Madison over the course of seven days. And uh, I woke up this morning thinking about this uh, little uh, writing I saw several years ago. It's called Jesus and the Tandem Bike. Uh, 
and I'd like to read it to you. At first, I saw God as an observer, maybe someone with a telescope who watched me from far away. He was like a judge keeping track, keeping track of what I did right and what I did wrong. At the end of the, my life, he would decide whether I deserved heaven or hell. I did not know God back then. But later on, I met Jesus, and I started to see life like a bike ride. It was a tandem bike, and now Jesus was in the back helping me to pedal. I don't know just when he suggested that we switch places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew what way I wanted to go. It was a little boring, but it was predictable. I had the same friends. We did the same things. Life was the shortest distance between two points. But when Jesus took the lead, he showed me delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speed. It was all I could do to hang on, even though sometimes it all seemed crazy. He'd just keep saying to me, pedal. I would become worried and, and ask, where are you taking me? Can I trust you? But he'd just laugh and say yes, and slowly I started to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and take my hand. He took me to meet people I never thought I would ever associate with, and they became my friends. They had things that I needed, gifts of acceptance and joy, lessons about life and love, and sometimes we'd meet people who needed the gift from me. I'd never done that before. When I would be overwhelmed by it all, Jesus would just smile and say, I told you, I told you it would be fun. I must say, I did not trust him at first to con in control of my life. I thought he would wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, and I have learned that they are the secrets of life, too. He knows how to take sharp corners, how to jump high rocks, and how to stop and rest in the most amazing places. Now that I am learning, now I am just learning to enjoy being with my Lord, to pedal without fear to the, in the strangest and most beautiful places, to enjoy the wind in my hair and the sun on my face. I could never have gone where I've gone or seen what I've seen or become what I've become without him. And still he just says, pedal. And he says, pedal to you too. Now, welcome to the Vineyard Church. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, we're glad that you could join us uh, here at the Vineyard and... Uh, if you're watching online, we welcome you as well. Uh, our service today is streaming on Facebook, and uh, later in the week you can find the service on YouTube. Pastor Brent is preaching from our exciting new study, Why Are We Here and Where Are We Going? And who's in the lead, I might say. Today, Jesus is, uh, today's message is called, The Word We Preach. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, an amazing chapter, in one of my favorite 66 books of the Bible. It's just great. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text. You'll also find part, part of that chapter written in your bulletin, along with the section to take notes. Uh, we'll take a few minutes at this time for our Building for the Future pledges in your bulletin. Even if you filled one out last year, we ask you to reaffirm your original pledge or pledge for the first time. If you don't have a pledge card and would like one, the building committee members are passing them out. 
or they were in the bulletin. Okay. Um, we would like to collect all, the, all of our pledge cards today. There is a space in our offering table to place them. Uh, this slide demonstrates what we are building for. And I'm going to invite the head of our building committee, who's also the head of our church. Um, Brent is going to come up and say a couple words and then lead us in prayer. So, I was out mowing the other day. We have a new zero-turn mower, which is awesome. Um, and I was looking over at our awning, and I thought, that looks pretty bad. <laughs> and it does. And then I thought, boy, that would really look nice, like a nice new wood awning thing, and then have some nice new flooring when you come in, and all that kind of stuff. And that's what some of the stuff we're hoping to do in Phase 2. And so we're asking you to join with us as we try and um, just make this place more beautiful, more, more accessible, um, more inviting. And I, I would also like to get a little more paved, wouldn't you? Yeah. Either that or I'm going to open a, a um, tire repair store here pretty soon, so. So um, uh, let me pray. Father, just help us to give. Lord, we take care of our own houses and um, our own things. Help us to take care of yours. Amen. I did hear about a church one time that was doing a, a pledge fund and, and all of that. And the head of the uh, pledge drive came up with a T-shirt. And on the front it said, I upped my pledge. And on the back it said, up yours. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not doing, we're not doing that one. Uh, all right. Food box assembly is tomorrow, um, June 26th, from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Uh, then on Tuesday, beginning at 11 a.m., we need volunteers to set up for our pantry. At 3 p.m., we need volunteers to keep up to help with the food distribution. And from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday night, we have a great need for volunteers to help with cleanup. Next Sunday, uh, which is a, a, uh, a holiday weekend, our uh, July 2nd, our service will be outdoors in the parking lot. Stay in the comfort of your car or bring a lawn chair to enjoy the fresh air. And bring your coffee mug, donut, and ice water, too. Kingdom Kids and Youth will be meeting inside the building. And on Saturday, July 8th, you are invited to come and bring your friends to our Christmas in July Christmas for Kids fundraiser, a barbecue rib cookout from 12 to 4 p.m. Original sign said 5 p.m., but it ends at 4. So if you come at 5 hungry, you're going to leave at 5.05 hungry. Um, <laughs> But come between 12 and 4. A rib dinner including sides for $20. Uh, one, free one free kids meal for each adult meal. Uh, also a basket auction, 50-50 raffle, family games, all right here on Saturday, July the 8th. Uh, and finally, don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up in the back of the sanctuary for your offering and for your pledges. 
And don't forget our church website, and, and, uh, or you can donate on the church website or Facebook. God bless you, and uh, let's hear Brent as he brings the message. really knocks me out. I don't, th- I don't know if it's supposed to, but so if I start me- wandering off in weird places, you probably just go, well, that's how you usually sound. So um, so remember, too, I forgot to remind you to, at the end, don't forget to fill in. And are you, we going to have people standing back there? Yeah, there's a basket back there. There'll be people checking to make sure you put something in it. So... Not really. We're not that kind of church. Um, but I do like the up yours thing. That's good. Uh, so with, with that, um, Father, would you come and just help me bring your word to your people? Lord, um, you are always so kind to us. Even when we don't remember you or think about you, you think about us. And I'm so thankful for that. And I, I just pray for this community. Pray for this word. Pray that you would come and do your great work today in our lives. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the word we preach. And that doesn't mean that all of you have to go and preach. But what this means, what I'm going to be talking about today, is what is, what is central to who we are? What is, what, are, what is like the most important part of what it means to be a Christian? You know, for some organizations, certain things are the top priority. You know, for certain recovery ministries, recovery is their top priority. You know, for other things, other things are super top priorities. If you go on a family vacation, we discovered this many years ago. My parents used to take us in a, um, used to rent a motorhome when we'd travel out west with some friends. And one time we left, I don't remember where we were, somewhere in the middle of nowhere out west, Wyoming or something. And we left, and we had them with this motorhome, and our friends had a little kind of mini motorhome. And we left, and we got about 20 minutes down the road, and somebody said, said, and I was, I don't know how old I was then, probably 12 or 13, maybe 14, I don't know. So somebody said, where's Wendy? And Wendy's my little sister. At that point, she was maybe five. She's like 10 years younger than me, so she was probably four or five. Looking around, like, oh, uh-oh. We had forgotten her back at the last rest stop, which, if you know her, you know she was probably fine. She she would, um, my one of my, um, I think it would have been her great aunts, used to pay her to be quiet. Like, hey, if I give you a nickel, would you be quiet or a quarter? So by the time we got back to pick her up, she had about $200. So it was really good. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, but that's, you know, it's kind of important to, to, like, when you, if you ever saw Go, you know, Home Alone, it's important. Some things are really important, aren't they? Some things are really important. And there's, a, there's some things, sometimes, 
sometimes Christians make things important that really aren't that important. I mean, they're important, but they're not that important. And so if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have any idea what church is about, what, who Jesus is, that kind of stuff, these are some things that are core to what, we're, what we believe, what I believe, what God calls us to believe. So, um, let me read you. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. And it's, 1 Corinthians is probably one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's earliest books. And it's written to address a whole bunch of issues. I mean, they were, Corinth had written these letters to Paul asking about all these questions. And, and I'm really thankful for the Corinthian church because they had about every problem you can have in a church, all in one church. It was amazing. I mean, they had problems with how they did worship. They had problems with, with how they treated women. They had, they had problems. Paul has to write about spiritual gifts because they were abusing that. He had to write about giving because they were not doing that. He had to write about um, discipline and, and sexual ethics because they'd gotten really whacked out on that. And so in, in this particular passage, it's 1 Corinthians 15, he, he doesn't do something he does in almost every other part of, the, of 1 Corinthians. He doesn't say, and now about blah, blah, blah. He just jumps right into it. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Do you ever take a stand on something? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For I received what I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 people. Now remember, this is written 500, or not 500, this is written 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, there's more than 500 people that were there, and you can go and ask them. Go ask them. There's 500 witnesses to this event. If you don't believe it, go ask somebody. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is kind of a metaphor for died. Then he appeared to James, which is Jesus' brother, I think in this case. He's speaking to Jesus' brother. Now you know something's true if somebody's brother or sister actually believes it. I mean, for Jesus to have been raised from the dead and to be the Son of God, and for his brother to actually believe it, that's something. Any of you have brothers or sisters? You know how that goes. You know, really? If you went and told them that you're God's son and that you were going to rise from the dead, what would they tell you? Like, dude, get a life. Um, get over it. For I am the least, and he said, last of all, he appeared to me as one um, abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, 
but the grace that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. And so, again, these are two core things that aren't, that aren't negotiable in Christianity of what it means to be a Christian. One of the reasons I didn't stay connected with the particular church that I was involved in um, at the time that I came back or came to a relationship with Jesus is that I kind of knew that uh, at least a couple of pastors I don't think really believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I thought, and I was a new Christian, but I thought, isn't that kind of important? I mean, isn't that like, isn't that kind of what makes a Christian Christian? So let me go through some of these things. Um, of what, what Paul says, and Paul's really adamant about this. He says that if you take your stand, if you believe these things, unless you've taken it in vain, unless you've rejected some of these things. And the first thing is that Christianese, sorry, that's my celebrex talking. Um, Christianity is a proclamation of what God has done, not what we do. It's gospel. It's a proclamation. It's, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've read over some of the other religions in the world, and this isn't to disparage some of the other religions, but like in, in Islam, they have um, five, it's the fivefold path or something like that. They call it when Muhammad came. He came and taught that um, there are five things that you need to hold to if you're, if you're a Muslim. Their belief that there is no God but one, you need to pray. There's five times a day you need to pray. You need to give alms. You need to fast during a certain, during Ramadan. And then you need at least once in your life to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And so the, the, the teaching of, of Islam is what you do, right? This is how you become or stay Muslim or whatever. And the same thing is a little bit similar for Hinduism. Hinduism um, has certain things, certain paths. There's the path of knowledge. There's the path of works. And then there's one other path. I can't remember what that path is. Some of the... I forgot the path, sorry. Um, but Christianity is different. Why is it different? Because it's not a teaching about what you do. It's a proclamation about what God did. You know, certain things are really good news. Most of us, I don't think any of us, maybe some of you were around when we won, actually some of you might have been, when we won World War II, when there was the celebrate, when have you, well you don't have to raise your hand. Um, so, <laughs> I get myself in trouble no matter what I say here. So anyway, I mean, I've seen pictures of that and it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. And actually, I was only born about not too many years after that, but the pictures of it are just amazing. I mean, there's people, ticker tape, there's celebrations. I mean, there have been years and years of this horrendous war going on and wondering if, if we're all going to speak German one day, you know, and, and just this fear and the, the overwhelming things and sacrifice, and suddenly one day the war is over, and so there's a proclamation that's given. There's, people don't, aren't doing anything. They don't have to do anything, but what they did is they celebrated like the war's over. This is awesome. 
Same thing probably has happened for for people with AIDS. Lots and lots of people had AIDS, and and over time they've come up with some treatments for AIDS that make make it possible for a person to live. Same with hepatitis type C, that you can actually live now. That those are proclamations. They're they're good news. You know, there's something you shout from the rooftops. 2016, something significant happened here. Anybody remember what that was? Championship. We got it. There were people. Teresa was driving down the street that night. And she said there were literally people jumping off one-floor buildings, not killing themselves, but just celebrating. She said it was so crazy. People were just going crazy. Why? Because it was a proclamation of something good. See, Christianity is a proclamation of something really good that God has done. When the angels came and told the shepherds about the birth of Jesus, what did they say? They said, and there were shepherds living out, this isn't Christmas, by the way, but he says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, you should be terrified, and you have to really start obeying those commands God gave you. And besides that, he's got some really other boys he met. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen that? They used to have these, these billboards out, you know, God's coming, and boy, is he mad. Have you ever saw those? It's like, oh, that's encouraging. No, it, that isn't what they said, by the way, if you're new here, and you're thinking, really, does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't. The, this is what the angel said. They said, don't be afraid. I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Behold, I bring you good news. The term for good news here is the same term that Paul uses when he's describing gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. Gospel is, as some of anybody who's worked with me knows, one of my favorite words. It was actually my password for a long time because most hacking systems didn't have ancient Greek words in them. And so I used euangelion. It means someone who brings good news. It was a proclamation that the Greeks used and that the Romans used to proclaim something that had life-changing implications. The Greeks would send a runner back from a battle and go, good news, we won. You're not going to be slaves to whatever people group they were battling. Good news. The Romans would do the same thing. They, although their good news wasn't always good news, they'd go and conquer a village and go, good news. You've got a new leader. His name is Caesar, and he's going to tax you, and it's going to be not good news. But anyway, but the point being that this term is always used to proclaim something, an event that has happened. Do you understand this? The difference between Christianity and all the other religions is that Christianity is news. It's a proclamation. It's not about what you do. It's about what God did. He sent what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Now that, that also, and it, this isn't in my notes, but that also should tell us something about our need, right? The present you're given usually tells you something about the need you have, hopefully. It doesn't always work that way. A few years ago, back, I think it was four years ago, I got really sick, and this is before COVID, and I, you know, I, I can never tell, you know, and I kind of grew up in the family where you just, you know, you just shake it off, you know, walk, walk it out, come on, don't be a wimp, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so I was trying not to be a wimp. Well, I, I got so sick, I actually passed out in my garage, and I fell on my glasses, and I broke them, and, I, and I'm laying on the garage floor, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die here, and Teresa isn't here. And Jesus isn't here, and I'm just going to die here all by myself. And I was literally thinking that. Now, at that point, I should have probably thought, you know, I should probably go to the hospital or something. But I didn't. I went in, went to bed, got up the next morning. <laughs> I still felt really bad. So I decided I maybe should stop in at the clinic. Instantly, they sent me into the emergency room. I go in the emergency room, and instantly, they not instantly, but they do a test for H1N1, and they isolate me. And then they started sending nephrologists in. Anybody know what a nephrologist is? It's a kidney doctor. Now, they didn't send nephrologists in because I was having brain problems. They didn't send the nephrologist in because I was having you know, back problems. They sent, I think, four or five nephrologists in to see me. And pretty soon I'm going, hey, I'm getting the point, you know? Hey, What's wrong with my what's wrong with my stinking kidney? And they're like, "Oh, how did you know it was a kidney?" I said, "Because you've sent five nephrologists in here." What did I need? A nephrologist. What do we need? A savior. Somebody to save us from our sin, somebody to save us from our brokenness, somebody to save us from all the death and destruction, somebody to save us from ourselves. We need a Savior, don't we? Don't you? When God sends a Savior, it's a message to me. So, first point, it's good news. It's a proclamation. It's not what you do. it's not about what you do, it's about what God did. You know, um Tim Keller was talking about one of the guys that he followed a lot. And he would always ask people, um, it was Martin Lloyd Jones, would always ask people not always, but when he's with somebody and he wanted to know where they were at with God, he would say, So, um, are you a Christian? And they would go, Well, I'm trying. I'm working. I'm trying to live like Jesus, trying really hard. What would that tell him at that point? Probably they didn't totally understand what the gospel was, because the gospel isn't about us trying. It isn't about us following the Ten Commandments. It isn't about us working harder. It isn't about any of those things. It's about what God did. It's about the fact that God took our place. And we'll get into that in just a second and what that means. So if you're here this morning and your whole view of Christianity is, is i got to try a little harder, you have, I don't mean this in a mean way, but you kind of missed the point. It's good news. 
It's not, it's not more news like, well, you just got to try a little harder. It's good news. So that brings us to the next core part of what we believe. And this is the main and plain of our Christianity. For what, I, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying this, these are things that we, we die on the hill for. These are things we bleed for. Not literally die on the hill or bleed, but you know what I mean. These are things that are like, no... You know, it's like it reminds me of Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof, when he's you know he's going through and he's marrying all his daughters are getting married to people that he's really uncomfortable with, but then it comes to one place where he just says it is written. Do you remember that? Any of you, you, some of you are like, what's Fiddler on the? Why would there be a Fiddler on a roof? I don't get that. Wouldn't he fall through? Isn't that dangerous to fiddle on roofs? I don't know. Um, but anyway, for I, what I received, I passed on you of first importance, that Christ died according to our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that it, then he appeared to Cephas, the twelve, and then to more than 500 brothers and sisters, most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. The main and plain of what we believe. What do we believe? And again, Paul, had, Paul dealt with a lot of issues in Corinth. He dealt with abuse of spiritual gifts. He dealt with their pride, with their, you know, I belong to Apollos, with their sectarianism. He dealt with, like I said, their mistreatment of, of women in the, in the church. He just dealt with a lot of different things. But on this, he says, this is first importance. This is the most important thing. This is what's most important for us. In the first part of that, what's most important, that Paul says, and John Wimber used to call it the main and the plain. He says, you guys, don't get caught up in the stuff that, you know, like, you know, at, at how and when Jesus is coming back. You know, Christians forever will be talking and debating that and all that kind of stuff. He says that's, the fact that he's coming back, yeah, that's really important. Yeah, we believe that. How, when, I mean, you know, how should we do baptism? Should babies be baptized? Should adults be baptized? Do we die for that on a hill? There's a lot of really good Christians that, you know, were baptized as babies. A lot of, and, that, and again, I know I'm pushing some buttons here. But, and I'm not saying that's not important, because it is. But again, Paul is saying, this is the most important. And the first part of his most important thing is, he says, for I received what I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And the first thing Paul talks about is substitution. The good news is that God took our place. Sin has been, I've heard it defined as us taking God's place. Which never, as Scott was reading this morning, the bicycle thing, it never, I don't know about you, but whenever I take God's place, it just doesn't turn out well. I'm not, I've discovered I am not a good God. You know, 
not even for myself. I'm just not. But there's there's a, there's a sense in which there's substitution going on in Christianity. There's a great one of my favorite all-time movies is is Tombstone. It's an old western. Well, it's not well yeah, it is kind of old though. But it's it's actually there's this really cool part in there where where Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday they've formed this group that's trying to protect this town from these real evil gang the the red handkerchief gang which doesn't really sound dangerous when you talk about it like that red handkerchief gang really is that the best they could come up with you know i don't I, they were maybe maybe that meant something different but i just thought i don't know when i see somebody with a red handkerchief i don't go run away run away he's got a red handkerchief how scary is that but anyway so there so there there's pretty pretty nasty guys and there's one really nasty guy his name is ringo and Somehow, it gets set up where Ringo and Wyatt Earp are supposed to go have a shootout. And Doc Holliday's wrestling with tuberculosis, and he's laying in bed, and they think he's dying and stuff. And, and he's talking to Wyatt, and Wyatt's, him and Wyatt are really close. And he tells Wyatt about you know where Ringo's going to be and that Ringo wants to finish this thing one out mano y mano you know mano y mano mano man and so to meet him at this place and this time well what Wyatt doesn't know is that Ringo or Doc Holliday know kind of knows and so does Ringo that Wyatt is as bold as a grizzly bear but he's not the fastest shot in the west and Doc Holliday and Ringo know that probably Ringo's going to win in that battle. And so what Doc does is he takes Wyatt's place. He told Wyatt to go to this other place. <laughs> A little bit deceitful. but And then he shows up to meet with Ringo. And it's funny when you first see Ringo, see Doc Holliday come and he's like, he, he he actually goes, he, his first response is, because they had had some conflict before, he goes, Doc, you know, I was just kind of messing around back there. And Doc goes, I wasn't, you know. And then you kind of guess what happens. You know, Doc, <laughs> Doc says, I'll be your huckleberry. Whenever anybody says, I'll be your huckleberry, that's kind of scary. Either that or they're really weird. So, <laughs> don't... <laughs> Peter's tried to tell me that a couple times. I'm like, Peter, already married. I'm good. Don't want you as my huckleberry. Um, but anyway, the, you know, uh, as it goes on, obviously Doc hits him. And later on in the story, there's this great dialogue, and, and there's a guy named Turkey Creek Jack Johnson. Everybody had weird names back then. How you get named Turkey Creek Jack Johnson, I don't know. He says, why did you do it? Doc says, Wide Earp is my friend. Turkey Creek, Creek, Creek Jack Johnson says, friend, hell, I got lots of friends. Doc Holliday says, I don't. And you know, in some ways that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he wants to be our friend. And he's saying, you know, he's saying that, that he will take our place. He will stand in our stead. We owe something. We're destined in and of ourselves when we stand before God 
it, it's just not good by ourselves. And Jesus said, Jesus said, I'll be your huckleberry. I'll be your huckleberry. I'll go stand in for you. And I think when, I, I like to picture it like this. I like to picture when, when Satan saw Jesus coming to the coming to the grave and coming out of the grave, I think he was probably a little bit like Ringo going, oh crap, this went really badly. I gave it my best shot and I lost. You know, the one that, the one that we worship, the reason we worship is because Jesus was our substitute. There's all kinds of passages related to that. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a what? A ransom. What is a ransom? You trade places. You pay off. And Jesus said in another place, in Romans 5, Paul says this. He says, you see at just the right time, while we were yet powerless and sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die. But God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ took our place. He took your place. He took your place. And somebody said, it's like, <laughs> what, you, what that means is that you are forgiven. Sin is us taking God's place. Salvation is Jesus taking our place so that we can take his place. Do you realize that? That Jesus traded places with us. Not that Jesus won't be there, because he will. But he traded places. See, this is what Christianity this is what Christianity is, is that we have a God who literally stood in our place in the courts of the universe and we all know that we're broken and we all know that we're fallen and we all know that that we left to ourselves what wouldn't make it we lived in a, we would you know before i understood who jesus was and even after i became a christian it took me a long time to to think well i need to pray enough i need to read enough i need to live a good enough life i need to do the it was almost like i didn't fully grasp the gospel and I feel like there's a lot of you out there that are kind of living like that. You're kind of living like, okay, I got it. I still I know I know I'm saved by grace, but 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 on Christ the solid rock all I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I finally got to a place in my life where God kind of broke me down and I realized one day, and I've shared the story with you, one day I was laying on the couch kind of in a fetal position and I feel like I had screwed everything. This is after I was a Christian. I would screwed everything up and I, I heard like this singing over, literally I heard singing over me and then I heard God speak and say, I love you. And I was like, how can you love me? I like screwed up all this stuff, I thought. And he didn't, he didn't really respond to that. I think he was just saying, no, you don't get it. I love you. I love you. You've been forgiven. Your bills have been paid. Somebody described it like going into a store. Have you ever gone into a store 
like going to Walmart or something, and then you're halfway out, and you realize, oh, crap, I forgot that. So you have to go in with the bag that has bought stuff in it, and you're walking around, and you're going, I hope nobody asked me if, you know. But you know what? When they do come up and go, hey, did you pay for that? What do you do? You pull out the receipt. Paid, paid, sucker. There you go. I'm paid. Well, you don't say, don't do it like that. But what, what we do is we go, this is paid. And you know what we do when condemnation and when our conscience and when all that stuff starts happening, we look and we go, no, this was paid. And we look at the right hand of the Father and there is our payment, Jesus. I love where it says, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to get baptized, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know what lambs did? They were slaughtered to take away the sin. Are you getting this? Any of you, start, is this starting to click a little bit? That what Christianity is, isn't about you. It's about Him. It's different. It isn't just, I'm not saying the Ten Commandments aren't important. I'm not saying living a righteous life isn't important. But what I'm saying is that's, that's a result of a transformed life. That's not how you get a transformed life. The other part of this is the, the core thing is resurrection. For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Why is that so core? Well, first of all, it's really core because what was the symptom that God said would happen when Adam and Eve, if they chose to eat the forbidden fruit? What was the result of that? Death. What would show you that that curse that they had brought upon themselves, what would show you that that had been undone, that somebody had fixed that? Life. Resurrected life. That's Paul's whole argument in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, or 15, he says, if Christ is not, and Paul goes through this whole debate with the Corinthians because a lot of them were saying Christ wasn't really raised. Maybe he was raised spiritually. We're not sure. You know, it seems a little far out. It seems a little weird. You know what? And it's not that different in our culture. We have so many, you know, so many, even us sometimes go, I don't know, that sounds a little weird or whatever. But Paul says, if Christ wasn't raised and the resurrection of Jesus isn't just like his spirit left his body and is with God kind of thing, he literally was raised with a new kind of, a body, a body that no longer had the DNA of death in it, a body that was touchable, that could feel. If you have loved ones who've gone before you, God has resurrected bodies for us. I am so glad. The last many years, I, I, my, my poor wife, she's going to, I think, apply for 
um, nursing compensation because, you know, I have wrecked, I'm getting close to almost every part of my body at this point. And when I was 50, I was like, hey, I've never had to have surgery. I'm in, I, I bet I'll make it my whole life with never having surgery. Oh, boy, don't ever do that. Don't go there. I look forward to that new body. So don't wake up every day going, <laughs> my fingers won't open. Like, especially my middle one. My middle one goes like this all the time. Which, I'm really glad it doesn't get stuck the other way. Because that would be really bad, especially if I'm waving at people, you know. Driving past a group of hell's angels, waving at them, that would be really bad. If your finger was stuck the other way. But anyway, um, but it, it meant that, that we're forgiven. But it also it also means that that deep, deep yearning in all of our hearts for something undying, that deep yearning for us to have an everlasting love, not just a love that someday is going to have to bury somebody else, an everlasting love. It's looking for that, that happy ending in a sense that that evil will be done away with, that we won't have to wake up in the morning and go, okay, what's, what terrible thing is going to happen today? Don't we yearn for that? Isn't that what most of our movies are made about? They're made about like this wonderful love that's finally found at the end that we all yearn for. They're made about wrong things being made right finally. Finally justice coming and evil being permanently done away with. They're about things being made perfect and whole. There's a great book by J.R. Tolkien. I'm going to get the name of it wrong, but it's on, it's on fairy stories. And fairies got different connotations in our culture. But, but fairy stories being, um, you know, kind of fantasy stories. And there's a common thread in all of them, like in, in The Lord of the Rings. There's this common thread that they want to see mortar overthrown and they want to see life brought back to wholeness, right? The Avengers movies, same thing. Even if you're not into that kind of thing. You like watching... What, what is it in all of our hearts that makes us think about the fact that there's ought to be something better. There ought to be something more whole. That, that we're missing something. There's a, there's a great quote in The Silver Chair, C.S. Lewis's writings on, from the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's these two kids, and they, they're traveling with this guy named Puddle Glum. Puddle Glum is kind of like a, I don't know what, he's sort of like a big thing with, instead of feet, he has kind of flipper things. But anyway, they get captured and they're brought down into this real dark, deep dungeon place. And there's a witch down there that tells them, begins to get them to believe that there is nothing above, that this is all that there is. And this is what P- Puddleglum, how Puddleglum responds to this. He says, but really, they also argued, um, oh, let me get to it here, sorry, wrong place. One word, ma'am. He's talking to the witch. 
He said, coming back from the fire limping, he had stuck in his foot in the coals to wake himself up a little bit because they're just starting to believe that this is all that there is. So why bother? If this is all that there is, why bother to do good? If this is all that there is, why work for justice? If this is all that there is, do you get it? He came back limping because of the pain. One word, all you've been saying is quite right. He's speaking to the switch. I shouldn't wonder. I'm the chap who always likes to know the worst and then put the best face on it I can. And Puddle Glum was kind of like Eeyore. He was sort of like, the, yeah, it's probably, it's sunny, but it's probably going to rain, you know. But he goes on and he says, so I won't deny any of what you said, but there's one more thing that needs to be said even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan, or in this case, Jesus himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a great deal more important than the ones you're speaking about. And suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And it's a funny thing, don't you think about it? We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make up a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world, by that world that I believe in. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live like a Narnian, even if I can't see any Narnia right now. So thanking you kindly for our supper, if these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once, and we're setting out, out in the dark to spend our lives looking for that overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I say, but that's a small world if the world's as dull a place as you say. And what he's saying there is there's something in our hearts and in our lives that yearns for a better world. And we need to shut down that voice that says, no, there's not. For some of you, you've been living in this thing like, well, this is probably all that there is. It's as good as it gets. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm going to read from another quote. We all see through a glass darkly. We're all feeling around in the black for something to hold on to. We all listen... For truth in a world with millions of people speaking at once, doesn't the lack we feel tell us there is something more? Maybe instead of trying to fill our emptiness with whatever we fill it with, we should try to listen to it and hear, hear the whole story it's trying to tell us. The story of a, of a more, of a higher, the story of wholeness. That's what Puddle Glum does when he steps in the fire. And that's what we can do if we stop thinking just about ourselves for a moment and be, begin examining that deep desire in us for something more whole. And the last thing is the power of grace. For I am least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. And our faith is built on grace. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... And I love this. I am's what I am's. It's an old Popeye. So that's where Popeye got his thing. I am what I am. I, I can't remember what else he said. But I'm Popeye the sailor man. 
And his grace in me wasn't without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preached and this is what you believe. The grace of God at work in me, in you, I get to see the grace of God every day I come in here at work in you. What do we believe? We believe that we have a God who took our place, who substituted for us. We, have believe, we believe in a God who was raised from the dead to give us an image and a picture, not only of the fact that, that he had overcome death, but, it, but, but a picture of what it means when we're praying, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that one day all oh, the whole world will be a reflective reflect in the same glory that Jesus was bathed in in his resurrection, that one day everything will be made right, that one day you'll see your children who have died, that one day you will, will live with no fear or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. And Father, come. If anybody doesn't believe these things, Would you help? We, we pray like the, like the man in the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. Would you help us to see that crystal clear world that's, that's coming, that's right on the edge of breaking into this world? Would you help us to see that better? Would you help us to believe more? Would you help us to hold more? Would you help us to stand more? On all this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You going to play something? Cool. So, if you want to come up for prayer while while she's playing, if you need to go, you can go. If you want to just stay and worship for a few more minutes, you can. Um, Peace.